Welcome to Unprivate Parts, a podcast hosted by Women's Hospital. Join us as we pull back the proverbial curtain with honest discussions on women's health and the uncomfortable subjects we all want answers to. Hello, I'm Elizabeth Vowell. If you watch WAFB-TV, you know I'm the evening anchor for 9 News at 6 and 10, but I'm also a new mom, and that is actually the role that we're talking about today. I gave birth to my first child, a little girl, last year, and I have loved every minute of becoming a mom. Well, almost every minute. So if you are a mom, you know the journey is filled with ups and downs and a surprising amount of bodily fluid, especially in those first few weeks and months. But there's also so much about that time when we need the most help and support that moms just don't talk about. I had so many things happen from the physical recovery to the wild mood swings and everything in between where I thought, I wish someone had told me about this. WAFB's The Journey After Birth with Elizabeth Vowles, sponsored by Women's Hospital. So I'm very excited to talk about this uh, topic today. Dr. Amber Pardon, a psychiatrist here with Women's Hospital. So first off, tell me a little bit about your background and your specialty. Yes. Um, so I am originally from here, um, went to medical school, you know, went through the whole gambit of what do I do with my life? Did mm -hmm. I ruin my life because I didn't like this, I didn't like that, and then got into psychiatry and loved it did training and a little bit of practice in New York State, and now I'm back. Um, so we started this practice here at Women's Hospital. Um, it's kind of like a subspecialty practice in perinatal psychiatry, so mm -hmm. we see a lot of pregnancy and postpartum, um, with the idea in mind that I've had child and adolescent training, so in that I got a lot of exposure in you know, infant mental health, some of the difficulties that moms have, with you know those struggles um, and really kind of saw the other side of what even the moms were struggling with mm -hmm. and I feel strongly about the idea of you know so many um, infant mental health problems child mental health problems kids in general if mom's not well kids not well either um, so I love the idea of really kind of maximizing the mom's ability to help take care of these kids and I make this joke I'm like we're you know changing the world one mom at a time because those kids then move on to become the next generation of adults, right? Mm -hmm. um, I love that, changing the world one mom at a time. And that's so true. I mean, your, your kid does mimic what you do so much. Absolutely, absolutely. And so the better mom you could be with you know, all the supports in place and taking care of what mom needs to be that good mom is super important. Um, so it's it's a lot more work winds up being with the parents than the children mm -hmm. when it comes to the idea of child psychiatry. Mm -hmm. um, so here what we've created is again the, this idea of taking care of the moms, making sure that they have their needs met and you know, when they're experiencing things that they did not anticipate, you know, we kind of really, really take care of them and, and treat their, their issues and I do a lot of education with mm -hmm. moms about how to be the best mom and as much as we can because no parent is perfect right but absolutely uh, you know raise well-adjusted kids mm -hmm. so it's it's important work and it's a lot of fun I really enjoy it well that's great and you you hit on a, the point that's a great segue of when moms experience things that they don't anticipate mm -hmm. that's kind of what this whole conversation is basing off of, of things it's in I wanted to do this because after my pregnancy and in the first couple of months after having a newborn, uh, my first child, my first daughter, 
there were so many things that I went, oh my God, I wish somebody had told me this or somebody had talked to me about this before this happened because there's so many moments in, especially in those first weeks and months that you go, is this normal? Am I crazy? Am I ever gonna feel normal mm -hmm, again? Mm -hmm. And it's just kind of part of it. And I feel like uh, education is such a important tool to have to know uh, kind of what you're going through. So one of those things that I wanna talk about was the, um, I, in my notes I just have it written down as woe hormones. Uh, because, you know, yes. in television and movies, when they show pregnant women, that's when they show them as weepy and crying and the mood swings all over the place. During my pregnancy, I was pretty steady in that retrospect, but it wasn't until um, after I gave birth that my hormones went just all over mm -hmm. the place, that mm -hmm. I was crying at everything, and I just thought, am I just going to cry for the rest of my life? I had no idea the crazy ups and downs and mood swings that you can experience after giving birth. Oh, absolutely, absolutely, a lot, and, and that's generally what we see a lot of. Mm -hmm. um, you know, anxiety is normal. It it exists because it keeps us protected. It exists because if a saber-toothed tiger is coming after us, we have to run, right? So, you know, evolutionarily, we've just turned it into something that looks different. Mm -hmm. But the thing about anxiety is that anytime there's unpredictability or change what bigger change can you have than a new human in your life? Right. Um, so that shakes, shakes things up a bit. And, and the, the shift in hormones, it's a little bit more slow and insidious as you're you know, kind of mounting up the hormones that you mm -hmm. need to maintain the pregnancy. And they kind of plummet after delivery. Um, so that looks a lot different. It makes you more vulnerable. So there is this biological response in the body that kind of contributes to um, this idea of what anxiety or depression or you know all of this stuff looks like mm -hmm. um, but it, it just makes us more vulnerable to that mm -hmm. in the postpartum period so in addition to the hormones of course uh, there is kind of the I guess average response of the the hormones and the crying mm -hmm. you were you can you're going to be emotional you're gonna have mood swings after you give birth but then that also can lead into postpartum depression and anxiety so what is the definition of mm -hmm. postpartum depression and anxiety because I feel like this is a topic that it doesn't get a lot of attention it's hard to talk about because I think people don't want to be labeled they don't mm -hmm. want to there's so many stereotypes and so many misconceptions so let's start with the very basics what's the definition so I'll start with generally the chief complaint is what we call it of, of what the mom struggles with is the idea of anxiety. Mm -hmm. So postpartum anxiety is actually not well defined specifically, depression is. Um, but so this exists pre-pregnancy but either at a subclinical level or you know again the idea of when we pathologize something it really turns into because there's a shift in functioning. Mm -hmm. um, so anything that's labeled as a disorder, by definition, is going to be because there's a shift in functioning. So anxiety would look the same as there's anxiety without the baby or without mm -hmm. the postpartum period. It just you know, kind of changes to most of the anxiety is about the baby or the change in your lifestyle. Okay. Um, you know, task management gets more difficult to do because you feel like you need to get, you know, do it perfectly. Or um, So it's just the idea of anxiety that reaches the level of decreasing your ability to function in the postpartum period, which we generally think of about, you know, just after delivery to about three to six months later. Um, de the depression is a little more well-defined. Mm -hmm. So it's basically you meet the diagnostic criteria for major depressive disorder in that time frame of the postpartum period. Mm -hmm. Um, so specifically, you have kind of like those physical symptoms that come 
from you know, a defined depressive episode. So mm -hmm. decreased energy, lack of motivation, you have trouble sleeping, you have a hard time getting out of bed in the morning, you feel like you just don't want to go on with your day. Mm -hmm. um, everything seems so hard to do, even if it's typical tasks that you could get done on a, you know, average day in the past. Mm -hmm. um, so, and again, that comes in, in episodes. So this episode in the postpartum period is what we call the postpartum depression. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, what is, so what are some of the big misconceptions when it comes to postpartum depression or, or anxiety? I think the biggest, um, the biggest struggle is the expectation that society and maybe family or the, you know, that the repeated messages that we've gotten over time and that we have to do this all by ourselves. that we're only a good mom if we don't ask for help or, you know, just the guilt that comes with being perfect mm -hmm. at being a mom, which is not a thing. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that's the biggest, the biggest trouble is that, you know, asking for help is really hard. Mm -hmm. Asking for help when you're actually impaired is even harder. And then that kind of creates this perpetual cycle of me even more trouble, you know, self-doubt. I can't do this. I'm not a good mom. Um, and it just brings you more and more down. Mm -hmm. How common is it? for a mom to experience this? Um, so actually it's quite common in the, in the average population, not as common, but in anybody who's experienced depression and anxiety, um, postpartum depression specifically is actually the most common postpartum complication across the board. Oh wow. Um, so those numbers can look anywhere from like 10, 15 to 25% of people who have ever experienced depression and anxiety could have a postpartum depressive episode. Mm -hmm. And every pregnancy is different. So some might have an episode in, in you know, the, the postpartum period for one baby and not for the other baby. Mm -hmm. So it's quite prevalent. And that, that is one of my questions of, you know, are there certain risk factors? I know, and I mentioned this to you when we were talking before that um, personally I've dealt with anxiety to some extent or another mm -hmm. my entire life. I remember my very first panic attack was when I was a very young child watching Casper the Friendly Ghost mm -hmm. of movie theaters. That's a whole nother story. But over the years, I've learned how to manage it, but I was terrified because I know one of my big triggers is when I'm exhausted, is that will, is very often will trigger an anxiety attack for me. So I knew, okay, I'm gonna have a baby. I'm gonna be exhausted all the time. Mm -hmm. I was fortunate in that I had a very good support system. So I was able to work through things and I don't think I, I don't, didn't experience thing, anything outside the average. But what are the risk factors mm -hmm. for someone to experience kind of more severe cases? Yeah. So the number one predictor of having postpartum depression is depression in pregnancy. Mm -hmm. So that's a huge risk factor. Um, and sorting that out looks a little bit different too, because you know sometimes with the hormonal involvement, or potentially having a prior episode of depression that either was you know what we call subclinical or not as bad. Mm -hmm. um, you know, sometimes people just have this idea with the stigma and everything involved, we're just gonna push through. Um, so, you know, depression and pregnancy is a big risk factor. History of depression is a big risk, risk factor. Um, trauma is a risk factor. Anxiety is a risk factor, you know, history of anxiety. Mm -hmm. And then some of those other things, like your level of support, um, you know, how much sleep you're getting, how impactful the you know labor and delivery is whether that was a positive or negative experience mm -hmm. um, and, and that's all based on perception typically so so that plays a big role um, 
you know, whether the baby's well when, mm -hmm. when he's, he or she is born. Um, so there's a lot of factors involved. Mm -hmm. So yeah. at what point, what's kind of the big red flag of when you might need to seek some additional help? When does this go, you know, when does what you're feeling go beyond kind of the average hormonal swings that you're experiencing? I feel like the easiest way to answer that question is, is kind of the idea, again, when you look at the functioning, Mm -hmm. Everything about having a new human introduced to your life is overwhelming. But when it gets to the point where it's more than just fatigue, you know, you've been up taking care of the baby or, you know, breastfeeding, pumping, feeding, whatever that looks like, and then you go back to sleep and then you wake up and, and keep doing it through the night. And then if you wake up and you say, I just, I can't get out of the bed, I don't want to get out of the mm -hmm. bed. Um, then you really should start thinking about, is this just tired because I didn't sleep? Or, you know, do I not have any motivation? Can I not get up and take care of this mm -hmm. baby? Is this the point where I should be asking for help to, you know, do normal day-to-day -day tasks? Mm -hmm. um, and not so much like the housekeeping and everything that, you know, women feel so pressured to have clean houses and laundry and dishes and all mm -hmm. this stuff done. But quite frankly, I think that's unreasonable expectations with a new baby. But you know, we can't even manage normal mm -hmm. taking care of the baby stuff. Gotcha. And where, who is that pathway to ask for help? I mean, where do you start with that? Do you call your OBGYN? Do you call your primary care doctor? Where's, uh, what would be your suggestion for if I'm looking to get help, where do I start? Because mm -hmm. even that can seem like such an overwhelming task. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. And it's, it, it, you know, sometimes it is hard to ask for help because of this idea of the pressure of being the good mom and taking care of your baby and the stigma of what happens if I say that I'm depressed, is somebody gonna think that I don't love my baby or I'm mm -hmm. not gonna take good care of my baby? Um, but again, a well mom is the best case scenario for a well baby, right? Mm -hmm. um, but so I often say the first place to ask is the one you trust most out of your either OBGYN or your, your baby's pediatrician. Mm -hmm. um, and so you know they can sort of filter through what this is, what that looks like, obviously your OBGYN could potentially start with you know some simple medication management to, to lift the mood. And if it goes beyond that, then referring to somebody like me to manage you know, more complex issues. Mm -hmm. So I wanna go back to that idea of mom guilt and mm -hmm. all the pressure that society puts on women in general, but particularly moms, and then the pressure, like you said, that we put on ourselves of the baby you've the house has got to be clean. I still have to get back to our normal routine. The baby's got to be perfect. I've got to take all the pictures and everything's got to be look great on social media. And I will never forget one of the conversations I had with one of my friends who she was talking about, you know, struggling bonding with her baby. Mm -hmm. And she said, you know, it took me like a, a couple of weeks before I felt truly bonded. And I remember saying, I don't think that's abnormal though. And she goes, well, not if you look on Facebook though. Mm -hmm. And I was like, but you're looking, you know, Facebook's kind of not always the best representation of what we're supposed oh, to be absolutely. doing. So is mom, mom guilt is something that everyone I think experiences on any level, whether you're dealing with the mental health issues or not. Absolutely. Absolutely. And again, society kind of sets the bar of what that should look like, which is not realistic. Mm -hmm. But the idea of, you know, you, you said social media, the whole point of social media is it's a positive reward system. Mm -hmm. So why put anything on social media that's going to give you anything but positive rewards? That's why it all looks good. Mm -hmm. um, but is it realistic? 
Probably not. Is it fake sometimes? Absolutely. So there's always the good with the bad, mm -hmm. you know, but in even the idea of looking at some friends, you know, sometimes we perceive, well, she's got it all together. I don't know how she does it. Um, but nobody really does. Mm -hmm. And or they have people that they're going to that kind of help them with the situation. Um, so it's, it's not a, it's, it doesn't have to be an independent process. It doesn't have to be that you're doing the mom thing by yourself. It should be, you know, it takes a village is truly kind of how we were created. Mm -hmm. um, and so the bad does come with the good. And the fact that you can't sleep overnight does make a huge impact. And, you know, babies don't latch or they cry or they have mm -hmm. upset stomachs or you can't figure out what it is. And then all of a sudden when you feel like you did figure it out, we're just in a phase and we've switched two days later to a totally different sleep pattern. It's like, you right. know, always with the unpredictability and it's, it's really challenging to, to kind of get your feet settled and have a routine to feel good about that. Mm -hmm. um, and meanwhile, we all have opinions and so many people feel obligated for some reason to share them, which is often right. not helpful. Um, because what works for one mom may not work for another mom. What mm -hmm. works for one baby may not work for another baby. So I often say if it's well-meaning and well-intended, then, then sure, I, I can appreciate the sharing of those opinions. Mm -hmm. um, but even if you're one of those people giving the opinions, really considering is it solicited or unsolicited and is it helpful or not helpful? Mm -hmm. So if we're past the point of this being helpful, meaning something happened, and then you express your opinion about something that's already happened, we can't change it, let's not share that. It's not helpful. Yeah, it's sometimes it's okay just to not, I said not share things. Right, right, <laughs> right. Uh, well, what do you think is the biggest, um, I, I, I guess, what's the biggest lie that we tell ourselves that, you know, that we say we have to do or we've got to, that contributes to the mom guilt? A couple of things. One, that we can do it all by ourselves. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's one of the biggest things. Two, that we're going to get it right all the time. Complete misconception. We're never going to get it right all the time. I do a fair amount of parent training, um, and I feel like I know all the right things to do when it comes to parenting, and I still screw it up all the time. Mm -hmm. My kids are not perfect, nor do I expect them to ever be. Um, but kind of extending on beyond that, this idea that sometimes we expect it, and you know, generally this is more with the idea of kids as they grow and learn and, and develop their own personalities. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we really have this strong hold in our kids being a reflection of who we are. Um, and, I, and I get a little bit kind of taken aback by how much people perceive their kids to be unintentionally, but kind of these, this idea of the, their show ponies, you know, if they look good and they're doing all the right things, then that makes me look good. But kids are unpredictable and they do things that might reflect poorly or not as great on moms. And that's not, it doesn't mean you're a bad mom. It doesn't they're mean they're going to break down done, sometimes in the middle of the grocery yes, store. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And so, you know, think about the woman that you saw in the grocery store and how she reacted to the kid having the tantrum. Is she so freaked out because everybody's looking at her or is she mm -hmm. kind of just taking it in stride, you know? And really it, it doesn't, you, you can't predict and you can't control children's behaviors, babies' behaviors. Um, so you just have to sort of learn to adapt 
and understand that they are doing whatever it is that they feel like they need in that moment to get their needs met. Mm -hmm. And so just try to interpret what the kid's doing, what they need. Sounds like, like as a society, we could probably help moms by, sounds like being a little less judgmental. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. I think it's, it just makes such a huge impact. And that plays into the, it takes a village. Uh, you said something mm -hmm. before that I think is just so, we're not meant to do this alone. Mm -mm. No, we were not built that way. Mm -hmm. We absolutely were not. We're not built with the idea in mind of, of doing anything independently. You know, we are emotional, well-connected beings. It's, mm -hmm. it's how we are built. It's how we live our life. Um, and we've just created this society that really just makes it seem like that's not the case. Mm -hmm. You know, being strong and powerful does take a lot of people to get there, mm -hmm. you know, supports in place, whether that's a strong and powerful and confident mom or, you know, business person or mm -hmm. whatever it is. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so one thing that I also want to talk about, and you, you touched on it briefly, you mentioned, uh, Again, if you've experienced uh, positive birthing, uh, or if you are, if someone is a victim of perhaps trauma mm -hmm. or abuse in their life, that that is uh, putting them up, putting them into a situation where they might also be more at risk for experiencing mental health issues postpartum. Yes. yes. So, what's the importance of? Uh, let, let's talk about that a little bit more. What mm -hmm. what what are your, what do people need to know about that? So, trauma does play a big role in the whole idea of you know, pregnancy, postpartum, bonding with the baby, um, and trust. Mm -hmm. So the idea of trust, going back to, you know, asking people for help, um, or this perception that nobody can take care of my baby the way that I can, mm -hmm. you know, um, and realistically, that's true because you're their mom, but at the same time, it doesn't mean that your baby's not going to be well taken care of. It just might look different. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that plays a big role in whether or not they're able to or can trust other people in asking for help. Mm -hmm. um, but you know, there's a lot of other impacts as well. This idea of, you know, what the trauma looked like and how that might play a role in their whole pregnancy and postpartum experience. Um, you know, there's a lot of intimacy involved with you know your OBGYN and people in the room and your supports and all of that just in the process of your body changing and creating this life and then mm -hmm. and then delivery um, and then the idea of breastfeeding and what that looks like and are you comfortable with um, you know the touch that might come with breast breastfeeding and is your you know there's this like mind body connection mm -hmm. is your body going to let you is your mind going to let your body actually create the milk to feed your baby or is is it gonna be uncomfortable um or is that something that could contribute to stress and additional stressors and, and contribute to depression right absolutely absolutely and that is so true i, I think a lot of I think a lot of new moms probably don't realize how much you're touched. <laughs> That's if you're yes. if you're not a touching person, yes. you constantly have this little human attached to your body in some form or fashion. Whether you're breastfeeding or not, but particularly if you're breastfeeding, I I, I remember there have been several moments uh, that you know after having the baby all day and breastfeeding, which I loved to do, but then that would also be you know my husband would come over I'm like just just leave don't touch me <laughs> I've been touched yes. all day yes. I need a minute just to just to breathe here it gets it gets a little overwhelming 
It absolutely does. I think too in the clinical world sometimes we forget because we're just so exposed to it that you know it's just natural to us you know the nurse might come in and just you know grab on mm -hmm. to help the baby latch and it's like whoa like mm -hmm. that's and I can imagine if you're if you're someone who has experienced trauma or abuse in your past mm -hmm. that that could be very triggering absolutely absolutely so it, it definitely is something that we all need to kind of take a step back um, but to support moms in this ability to ask for what they need mm -hmm. and set boundaries when appropriate if they become uncomfortable in those situations because we don't want it to turn into a negative experience and really kind of impact what the next steps look like and the postpartum period looks like and you know if the delivery was traumatic because there was too much touch and it wound up being triggering that does and can impact the bonding with the baby and the experience and, and you know overall ability to move forward, mm -hmm. you know, because once you open that can of worms, sometimes the symptoms don't really subside when it comes to trauma symptoms. Mm -hmm. um, so you got to be real careful with that. Mm -hmm. uh, one other thing we want to talk about is, so let's talk about the pandemic effect. Mm -hmm. You know, we're, we're things have kind of slowed down a little bit, but it's still, we're still dealing with some aspects of that. But, you know, during this time, and I, you, you recently you had a baby during the. I think we both were talking. We both had a yes. baby during the pandemic, yes. and I think we can probably sum that up as it being a very lonely time. Absolutely. How does that affect uh, the mental health of a mom? So the idea of it being a, a lonely time, um, you know, nationwide, I think a lot of the appointments were you could only go by yourself, so no mm -hmm. supports. Um, labor and delivery might have been no supports. You could only go by yourself. Um, the potential risk for having your baby taken away if you were exposed or tested positive, mm -hmm. but we were concerned about symptoms. I was symptoms. terrified and about that. It's, yes, it's, it's awful and it's scary. Um, and, and God forbid the pregnancy is complicated and there are potential you know, things going on that, that you want your, your husband there, your support there in that appointment when you have to get some you know, possibly bad news. Um, it's, it is really terrifying and lonely. Um, and also the idea that having somebody there with you to celebrate and the excitement of it mm -hmm. is also as in, impactful to not have that person there too. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, it's helpful to mention too, like the poor dads who didn't get to go, you know, the ones that were there for, you know, the, pre the previous pregnancy or baby mm -hmm. or um, wanted to be because it was their first baby and that's tough on them as well. Mm -hmm. And they're, you know, the impact on the relationship and their ability to bond with the baby. Yeah, absolutely. So if, if someone has experienced that, that kind of loneliness, uh, I, I guess what's, what's your advice? How do you stay connected? So again, I think asking for supports, I think we're moving kind of past that at mm -hmm. this point um, in terms of you know, not having so much limitations on who can be present and who mm -hmm. can go to appointments and that kind of stuff. Um, and maybe you know, in the in the clinical world, having a little more flexibility with the idea in mind that that it does, you know, having a baby is a positive experience, generally speaking. Mm -hmm. um, but when there are times and places where we can allow for a support person to come along or the dad to come along, being a little more flexible in that, because, well, yes, you might, you know, increase the the risk of some exposure or COVID mm -hmm. or any other virus. Um, but the mental health impact is important to take 
into effect as well. And in the clinical world, we talk about this idea of risk versus benefit all the mm -hmm. time. Um, so it's got to be a consideration. Kind of it's got to be a consideration. Full holistic approach. Absolutely. So talk to me about um, treatment. So I know with, with postpartum depression, anxiety, just like uh, any kind of major depressive disorder, there's kind of a range of severity and a range of different treatment options. Mm -hmm. um, what are the treatment options here? So the treatment options look very similar to, you know, treating anxiety and depression outside of the postpartum or peripartum world. Um, you know, they've done, actually, the medications that we use for mental health, um, specifically for anxiety and depression and trauma, are, well, are even more well studied in pregnancy than any medication that we've really? ever studied in pregnancy across the board. So we have more data because of the importance of the mental health and, and the mom's prognosis and being able to care for that baby. So yes, the studies are rampant. We know what happens and what doesn't. We have had millions of women that we've studied and it's documented, it's put on paper. So we know the risk versus benefit, we know the safety of it, we mm -hmm. know the importance of it. Um, and, and barring very little consideration, um, you know, that might be case specific, most people should be treated versus not on these medications because we know that the safety is, you know, really good and that treating the disorder is is way more helpful than any potential risk that could come from specifically those medicines. Mm -hmm. um, realistically speaking though, a lot of clinicians might be uncomfortable with that because they don't have the data, don't haven't learned the data, don't have the access to the data and there's you know, some liability involved and mm -hmm. a lot of emotions involved in this idea of, you know, exposure. Mm -hmm. But again, kind of thinking about, you know, exposure versus not exposure to a medicine might sound scary, um, but exposure versus not exposure to symptoms is even scarier mm -hmm. when you consider that symptoms can be toxic in, in, the, in the womb. You know, symptoms alone in the, in the, all the hormone shifts and the changes and the neurobiological, you know, kind of impact of that is also unhealthy for the baby. Mm -hmm. Talking about um, postpartum depression specifically, uh, recent, in the last few years there's been a new kind of treatment that's, uh, and I forget what the medication name is, but I know it's, a, mm -hmm. it's an in, in uh Inpatient treatment. Yes, I know. Uh, I've, I know a friend of mine that had a, experienced very, very severe depression and was hospitalized yes. And, yes. and went through this treatment, and it was very helpful for mm -hmm. her. Um, I remember reading about it and thinking, what a what a wonderful resource that that's out there. Yes, but yes. that's that's only for certain cases, though. So it's for certain cases. Um, it's a little bit complicated. It is newer, um, mm -hmm. and it is the, the complicated piece is that a couple of things. Um, one, that you have to be inpatient to mm -hmm. get the treatment because it's infusions. Mm -hmm. um, so those infusions have to be monitored. Um, the pay for it, obviously, is a big thing because it mm -hmm. is quite expensive, as you can imagine. Um, and I think it, there's limitations on whether or not insurance would cover it. Mm -hmm. So it probably would be an out-of-pocket out of expense. And then because it's inpatient, you have to consider that the mom won't be with the baby. You have to be separated, right? right? And so the impact that that might take... Um, and with severe cases, obviously that's better than, you know, alternatives or, mm -hmm. or not good enough outpatient medications. Um, but the other part is that, you know, the reason why it has to be inpatient is that it does um, have some pretty significant potential risk factors mm -hmm. or, or side effects that you have to, you know, weigh the risk factors and know 
is this a good candidate, is this not? Um, there are some centers here in our area that have that, but it's pretty limited. We don't mm -hmm. specifically have it here at Women's Hospital. Um, though we have tossed around the idea of having that, mm -hmm. you know, creating that program here. But there is just a wide range of options that are available yes. that can be tailored to your, your yes, case. Yes, yes, absolutely. Um, the idea of that would be for kind of quicker mm -hmm. um, improvement than, than something, you know, for somebody that might potentially wind up with symptoms that rise to the level of needing, you know, psychiatric hospitalization or mm -hmm. something like that. Um, but generally speaking, most of the women who experience this do do well with just outpatient medications that they take daily. Mm -hmm. So, uh, Dr. Barton, I think uh, that's kind of a lot of the topics that I hope to address. Is there anything else that you want moms out there to know? I mean, any kind of final message? I think the fact that we're not meant to do this alone is so important. Yes. And I think um, it's also kind of important to say it's okay if, if you're experiencing this, it's okay if parts of your life kind of have to take a back seat if it's okay to put down breastfeeding if that's not if that's contributing to your stress what are what are other things that you want moms to know I think the biggest thing is really and I, and I tell all of my patients this mom or not um, the idea that you have to take responsibility for yourself you have to take care of yourself and in doing that you can take better care of your baby but ultimately you are truly only responsible for yourself and your baby um, so again, kind of letting the, the judgment that will come because this is just, you know, it's, it's not great, but it's what we do mm -hmm. to each other and, and our society does to us. And, you know, the, the, the grandparents that have opinions or the friends that have opinions or the sisters that have opinions. Or the, the random person in the checkout line of the grocery store has right, opinions. Right, the, the complete stranger that has opinions. Everybody has opinions, um, but it's not their life. It's not their choice, it's not their baby. So not letting, and the point of that is to say, not letting the stigma of what their opinion is impact what you choose might be best for you and your baby and your family. Um, because it is your life and you have to figure out what works best and what fits best. It's not a one size fits all. Um, and just because somebody might think that you should be breastfeeding or you should never take medications while you're breastfeeding or, or while you're pregnant, um, they don't get to decide. Those people don't get to decide. So take your life back, live your life for you, and take responsibility for you and your baby. And ultimately, that might take a lot of therapy to get there, mm -hmm. um, realistically, but, but that's how you get to feel better. That's how you get to not be, you know, this struggling, overwhelmed, you know, symptomatic mom and can live your own life. Mm -hmm. Enjoy your life, enjoy your baby. All right, that's very empowering to hear. Yes. Take, take back your life, yes. I like that a lot. <laughs> yes, so many people function on what everybody else needs, mm -hmm. not what they need. All right, I think that's a good place to end there. Dr. Amber Barton, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for having me. You can watch this podcast and others hosted by Elizabeth Vowell on your favorite streaming device. Just download the free WAFB Plus app. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Unprivate Parts. Be sure to follow Woman's Hospital on social media and follow us in your favorite podcast app. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with others. Thank you for listening.